Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring Tales to Terrify, Crime City Central, Protecting Project Pulp, and the all-new Far-Fetched Fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 385. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. When I finish recording this, I'm getting myself sorted out and we're off to Rome for three nights. Woohoo! So, yes, got this to do and then we're off gallivanting around in, in Rome, seeing all sorts of nice things and getting a little bit drunk. <laughs> so... I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. First up, we've got an interview. Our, our young assistant editor, Jeremy there, is interviewing editor-in-chief, publisher of Fantasy Scroll magazine, Inu Iescu. Now, I've probably butchered that, but there's a nice little interview there by Jeremy as well. Then we have the main fiction, which is The Bomb Thing by KJ Kabaz. That is all coming up in today's show. I do hope, I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. And don't forget, this show is sponsored by Octagon Technologies, 1995 to the present. Helping with support and IT problems all over the world there now. Yes, Clive and Diane, thank you so much for your help on this show and everyone else who kind of chipped in and helped for SofaCon. You know what I mean? Still got great memories of that day, so thank you so much. So first up, like I say, we're going to have a little interview. Jeremy is, I'm letting him off the kind of, he's keyed us out, man. You keyed us out. I'm letting Jeremy off the leash there. And he's, like I say, he's going to interview editor-in-chief publisher of Fantasy Scroll magazine, Jeremy. 
Uh, hello there. You're listening to Starship Sofa, and I'm the assistant editor, Jeremy Zal. And today we've got an interview with editor-in-chief and publisher of Fantasy Scroll magazine, Julian Ionescu. Uh, he so far he's published about five issues of the magazine, and he's on his way now to becoming a bi-monthly production. And so far he's published a really diverse range of authors. Uh, some of them new, uh, some of them new voices. Some of them ha- who have had twenty books on the shelves. And so we're just going to ask him a few questions about the magazine itself. Uh, Julian, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, no worries, not at all. So why did you start up Fantasy Scroll Magazine? Well, the, the, this question has, has really two answers. The first one was really a selfish motive. I really wanted to see what, what's going on on the other side of the wall. I wanted to experience a little bit what is happening when people are submitting stories because I was a writer since quite a few years and I've submitted like hundreds and hundreds of things and I just wanted to see like what, what is the procedure behind it. But as I started to do it, it really became... Uh, it, like my my purpose changed, and I really wanted to help writers, especially new writers like myself. I I remember how I was in the beginning when I had no idea about where to submit, how to submit, what's happening with my story. So I really wanted to create an avenue for new writers to feature their works uh, and gain some confidence they needed to just move forward. And that's how this whole this whole thing came came to be. Yeah, it's definitely admirable because it is really, really difficult for someone who's uh, fresh out of the gate to really have that experience required to sell fiction. And you must obviously be doing the right thing because so far I think we've broadcasted two of your stories, both excellent stories. And also I found that uh, your content is on par with that of Clark's World, I have to say. It's really excellent work. Yeah. it is. There's a lot of there's a lot of gems in there, and if you hadn't published them, if you hadn't done what you've did, uh, someone else would have snapped them up, or they might not have existed at all. So yeah, you've cho- you initially chose to be quarterly. Now you've turned bi-monthly with the goal of being monthly in 2016. Why did you do that? Well, I think that being a monthly uh, a monthly publication is a really good goal for any magazine. Um, I think people like consistency, and so when you have a monthly set of new stories, that that's really good for them. But for me, uh, it was really scary because I've never done publishing, I've never done editing before, so I really had no idea about what to expect. So I needed enough time to establish some kind of a process, a routine. So by the middle of the first year, I already had a, some sort of a nice process going, and I started to feel a little bit more confident. And by the end of 2015, I had enough stories really accepted to carry us to the middle of 2015. So I decided I can go bi-monthly, and I hope this move will really increase our readership. I hope that I... I notice a lot of peaks during the times that we... when we issue... when we publish one issue, so I hope that, you know, having it six times a year is going to increase the readership. So... We hope to make it monthly in 2016. Um, you know, that's the goal, but time will tell. Yeah, it's also important to get as many voices out there as possible, as many stories out there on the market, because there are so many. It's just sitting on people's hard drives, just collecting dust and no one accepting it. And so it's really great to see someone really pushing to get those works out there into the big open space and to get them to have them contribute to a magazine. And exactly. like, yeah, there's so there's so much uh, talent out there. It's impossible impossible to publish them all. I'm sure you've come across work that you really really loved, but you just didn't have the room for it. It just wasn't quite right. 
Absolutely, and that that happens a lot, especially uh, when we accept a story and then we receive a couple more that are so similar to it. Mm. We just can't can't go that way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, and now that you might be able to, since you're uh, publishing more, it's really definitely uh, admirable work, and it also increases the overall quality of the work as well, so you gain more experience. Right. Yeah. So many magazines have started up, yet they've chosen to close themselves to submissions and go invite only and calling up big names such as Neil Gaiman uh, to build up a reputation. And while I can understand why they do this, it's something I find quite... It's the, it's the complete opposite of what are these magazines claim to do, which is trying to find new voices and trying to publish diverse work. And so you haven't done this. You've opened, uh, you've opened your gates to anyone who's uh, anyone with the internet connection essentially can submit to you regardless if they've sold 50 books or if they've never published a work uh, previous fiction. Why did you do this? Well, we, we are definitely realistic enough to realize that having big names uh, will help the popularity of the magazine. So we did decide to open um, to some, uh, you know, to invite some big names and we kept it really to, if you look at the history of the issues, we kept it to like one one big name per issue that helped us carry a little bit of uh, the readership. But really, our goal was to be a, a place for new writers to feature their work. And really, um, how, how are you going to discover new writers if you don't open open it up? Mm. And our, our commitment from the beginning was we're going to keep the submissions open 24-7, continuously throughout the year. It doesn't matter, you know, if the queue gets too long, we're not going to shut down the submissions even if we have enough story accepted because you never know. I've, I've received stories like a week before the, the, the issue was about to come out and I replaced the story just because I got such a good gem that really fit into the new issue. So we, we find always, always keeping up, keeping the doors open, always going to bring, you know, new content and, and we like it. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely admirable because yeah, I'm not going to mention them by name, obviously, but there are a few magazines that do that. There are some that have been closed for an entire year, uh, sending out invite only to the big names so they can get uh, the big publishers on there, and it's quite detrimental. It's quite damaging to new aspiring writers who'd really like to get their work out there and who have just closed the gates of submissions and only gone invite only. It's yeah, it just bars anyone who hasn't reached a certain popularity from submitting their work and. It's really it places a whole uh, block in front of new writers, and it's definitely yep. fantastic that you haven't done this. And yeah, there's been some big names in your magazine like Ken Liu, Cat Rambo, Piers Anthony, a few others like that. But there's also new names that I've I've never heard of before, and yet I've loved their work. And so it's yep. really great to have a diverse range of both new and established authors. Exactly. Yeah. So, do you see yourself becoming a professional paying market in the future? Yeah, this is this is another goal uh, for us. And um, right now, um, in 2015, we, we are going to publish the first anthology, um, hopefully in both print and ebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just launched the podcast. We have more issues, so I hope that this this things we're gonna are going to attract more subscribers because right now we are also toying with the idea of publishing some themes anthologies. So these are like really simple ways that we hope to to improve the finances of the magazines. Because in the end, going pro payment means just really having more money to allocate to the writers. It's like right now we don't really see this magazine as a as a way for us to become rich. It's never going to happen really uh, very yeah, soon. Yeah, the, so. re- the only reason I'm working on this podcast is so I can um, eventually buy yachts. Tony's, I just need Tony to write out the check for me. We're all writers exactly. want to become rich. 
<laughs> right. So, so really, any money that comes into the magazine is going to go right back to the writers because mm. that's that's where it should go. So, really, we we hope that we can become uh, a pro pay magazine, uh, and that. Just believe me, it comes with its own uh, pains because uh, as soon as you pay more, you're going to get a lot more submissions mm. and not necessarily only the good ones. So you have to have the process in place to handle that too. Yeah, it's a lot of writers and I'm not I'm not free of this guilt by any means. They do the top-down result. You've got to you've hammer out a piece of work. We'll just send it to all the top-paying magazines that pay 10 cents a word. Uh, try your luck. Just send it, bang, 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 send it out to all of them. But it's, yeah, it's you, you will get that and you will get a lot of people submitting there first. But, exactly. yeah, but, like, it's impossible to really say. But as for the whole uh, financial uh, perspective, it's really great that you're doing that and that you're contributing the money to the issues themselves. I mean, it's not like any writer or editor really does their job so they can get rich. Not exactly. really, yeah. And I do hope some, some, some amazing sponsor listens to this and comes comes forward and decides to sponsor the magazine, you know? Yeah, yeah, it, hopefully, hopefully. And um, yeah, even just one one more sale or a few more people checking out the stories, it's really, it's exactly what you want. It's just no, you can't buy people lo- looking at your stories. You can't buy people enjoying your work. And so being able to really pay writers for their work and get a wide audience, I can't imagine, I can't imagine a more profitable reward than that. Exactly. Yeah, and another thing I've noticed about your issues is the artwork. The cover art is really phenomenal. Like honestly, it's I have to say it's on par with uh, Clark's World and Lightspeed. It's really fantastic work. And do you see that artwork really contributing to the quality of the magazine itself? I mean, everyone says don't judge a book by its cover, but subconsciously we do. By default, we, we will judge a book by its cover, or in this case, the magazine issue. And you've got some outstanding work. How did you? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think I really think that uh, that for, for magazines in particular, the the cover really um, you know says something about the magazine. And I've I've had some 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 um, critics. I said I, I I've you know had a few people who said, look, your your cover doesn't really sometimes match the, hmm. the stories inside because you know the the word fantasy scroll in the title kind of hints towards fantasy but we do have some science fiction stories and then sometimes we have really epic kind of mm. uh, covers but I, I decided that was a conscious decision I wanted to go uh, you know if you look at the magazine you'll see that I I try to put one fantasy cover followed by a science fiction cover and so mm. on I try to alternate them because I think that I think that you know I want to get a little bit of each and the way that I get all these covers is by really spending hours and hours and hours every week going through deviant art and CG society and other places and finding all these artists who are really amazing and I have to say all of the people that I've spoke with are really really open and just very nice people and they just want to they, they just like when you 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 know you tell them how nice their art is and they want to they want to help so mm. that's uh, that's how I basically found found all of them. Yeah, is it hard to get uh, artwork? Because honestly, from the I've seen uh, like uh, traditional publishing as well, some of the artworks is atrocious, and this is some stuff that's being sold on the shelves. And is was it is it you'd think it must be really bloody hard to get good uh, artwork and. But obviously it isn't from from what you said. But is it that de- demanding of a job getting decent uh, artwork? 
It, it is really hard because, uh, listen, the, 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 these artists, a lot of them, um, they do this for pleasure. They enjoy doing this. But at the end of the day, they, they are artists. They need to they mm. need to make a living from this. So they can't just, like, give their works around. So um, it's 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 hard to, to, to go to the artist and pay them, you know, small amounts of money for their artwork. So this is something that I don't want to. I want to be able to pay the artist what they, what mm. they can. Um, I can't afford to pay a lot right now. So um, I am trying to sort of find the, the you know the best that i can get at this point but um indeed it's it's not easy to find uh, to find good good art but there are literally lots of artists out there who have amazing amazing work and they they want to show their work to the world mm, and i suppose your magazine's a really great way to be able to do that um yeah. what's another thing about the the work itself what's something that you see too often in the slush pile well, the one thing that I see the, the most, and, and it's really annoying, uh, and it's, is, is stories that are not real stories, but just a big setup for like a, funch, a final punchline. You know, there's a, like, a, like a huge setup for a very small payoff. And sometimes the punchline is really interesting, maybe even surprising, but it doesn't make, it doesn't make for a full story. I really need something to carry me through, build little by little, keep me entertained. And I don't even need a punchline or a twist ending. The story can just mm. end at some point. But um, I, I see a lot of stories where really the, the writers are just trying to get to that point that they want to make. And they build the whole thing. And then just it doesn't it doesn't fall. It doesn't it doesn't feel like a complete story you know yeah what I mean? yeah so I, I can see what you mean like i mean if you're climb, let's just say you're climbing a mountain and um it doesn't matter how sweet that reward is at the top if it's too difficult to make that climb then you're simply not going to bother it has to yeah, they exactly. they should be uh they should feel like the journey's worth it it doesn't matter what's at the top they should feel like every single step is a journey is something that's rewarding in it in order of itself yeah, yeah. and and I don't. I definitely don't see enough uh, good, good hard science fiction. Yeah, I was about to ask I, you that next. Yeah. Yeah, I think we get about sixty-five percent fantasy, ten percent horror, and other, and maybe twenty-five percent science fiction. Um, but we don't have a lot of um, you know acceptances in the science fiction. I just, I really would like to see more good science fiction stories. I think it's, mm. it feels like at least in this day and age, it feels so much easier to write fantasy mm. than science fiction. And I would, I would really like to see a lot more of that. Yeah. I personally find it the opposite way around, but perhaps that's my fantasy tends to be much more of the high epic and historical uh, fantasy as opposed to contemporary. And on that note, do you, how much medieval and historical fantasy do you receive as comp in comparison to contemporary uh, modern day fantasy? We don't. I, we don't get a lot of that. Um, I would say probably like around ten percent of fa of fantasies is is like that. Medieval um, fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, we. I, I'm getting a lot, a lot of paranormal stories lately. Mm. Um, either you know ghosts and it's it's a lot of um, a lot of stories that are trying really hard to be horror, but they're mm. not really horror. I mean, there's only so many uh, times a, a girl can wander into a haunted mansion. There's a bunch of people. Let's split up. Let's find the yes. ghost. Let's split up. That's genius. Yes. It's like it's like the whole thing turned out of Scooby-Doo episode. I always wanted it like that as a kid. Why do they always split up? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an interesting... Um, we have an interesting... Um, split between the stories but i really would like to see more science fiction mm. yeah so if any of our listeners and our writers and no doubt some of you are 
uh, writers. If you do have science fiction, send it along to uh, Julian. He'll he'll probably tell you how terrible it is, or maybe <laughs> by some miracle he'll purchase it. Right. Yeah, but uh, Fantasy Score Magazine is currently a bi-monthly issue that's uh, at the website. I'll put a link in the description. They're currently paying one cent a word and always seeking new fiction and non-fiction and reviews. Well, Yulian, thank you very much for joining us today. And I'm really grateful for uh, you doing this and for allowing us to podcast two of the stories that we have. Thank you so much, Jeremy. And uh, it's been a pleasure. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing more of your podcast as well. All right. No worries. Thank you very much. There you go. I've got links on, so if you want to like pop over there to Fantasy Scroll Magazine, that would be fantastic. Say hello, see Starship Sova sent you. Amazing stuff. So next up is the main fiction, and it is The Bomb Thing by KJ Kabaz. Ah, Kabaza. Yeah, sorry about that. Originally, this story was originally published in the magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction in the November, December 2014 edition. In addition to the fantasy and science fiction magazine where this story has come from, KJ Kabaza's work has been featured in Nature, Daily Science Fiction, Buzzy, Beneath the Skies and others. His short fiction has made both the 2013 Locus and Tangent Recommended Reading List and has been reprinted in the year's best dark fantasy and horror 2014 from Prime Books and the best horror of the year, Volume 6 from Nightshade Books. His two self-published omnibus collections, In Pieces and Under Stars, are available now is ebooks through smash words for any updates or anything we've got a link on there's his uh, kj's twitter handle there so do pop over there and say hello that would be fantastic and i've also got the address as well website address story is narrated by jonathan sharp he was born in southern new mexico in the nexus between area 51 trinity site and spaceport america how cool is that he attended culinary school in portland oregon and have managed a number of restaurants cafes and bakeries by day he says he is he's produced a produce manager for a natural grocery store by night practices narrations and voice acting while dreaming of a future filled with world travel via sailboat alongside his lovely wife Paige go on there Jonathan there lad you keep dreaming so the Starship Sova is very proud to present The Bomb Thing by KJ Kabza read by Jonathan Sharp Mason is my best friend He's about 5'10 and 185 pounds, and with the buzz cut and the scar by his eye from that fight in junior year, he looks like a real asshole. And he is sometimes. But then he smiles and his whole face lights up, and you feel like everything in the world is going to be okay. One look at that smile and you'd follow him anywhere. And I have too. But I'm not gay or anything. Mason works at the university. He's a janitor. But he's like the janitor in that movie who secretly solves all those problems on the blackboard in the hallway. Mason says he could make significant contributions to science if he felt like it, which he doesn't. That's one thing so great about him. Mason is his own man, and you can't tell him what to do. The fight he got into junior year? That other guy was a cop. I work up the street at Waco Taco. The job is meh, but the people are cool. Lots of college kids. I used to think nerds were all stuck-up little pricks, but actually most of them are okay. Mason says I'm wrong. 
and that I've only been around regular nerds and not ultra-university math nerds, and so I wouldn't know. But even though Mason is real smart, he doesn't know everything. He does know everything about girls, though. See that one? Mason whispered. He and I were sitting outside at the metal picnic table by the back entrance to the nerd department, which is where we always sit before Mason goes to work. His shift starts at two, so he meets me here with his morning coffee, and I meet him here with my lunch. I get to work early to grill the meat, so 1.30 is a late lunch break for me, and I'm always starving. But Mason isn't a morning person, so I don't mind. Where? Mason wiggled a finger at the nearby side road, hemmed in by a different building, the geek department at its back. A blue Saturn was parked at the curb, and standing next to it was a blonde girl in a sundress. It was only April. Wasn't she cold? Check those bombs, Mason breathed. They're huge. The girl looked lost. She glanced at her phone, then up at the building, then back and forth along the road. She shook her head, then opened the driver's side door, and bent inside to get something. The sundress pulled up her bare legs and showed the backs of her thighs. Up, up, up. And Mason winced and grabbed his chest. I think I'm dying. Oh, that ass, Blaine. Watch this. Take notes. I'll upgrade your game. Mason put down his coffee and hopped down from the table. He put his fingers in his pockets, stood on one leg, and pushed out his chest. The sunlight made the crisp edges of his uniform glow, and I thought about how perfect he must look from the front. Hey, he called. You need a hand? The woman pulled out of the car and smiled at him. Oh, no, I, I mean, well, maybe. Her smile turned shy. Do you work here? Yes, indeed, he said. What can I do for you? Um, she pointed at the nerd department behind us. Is that the mathematics building? Sure is. Mason crossed the grass towards her. You need to get inside? I can show you through the VIP entrance. He nodded at the back door and winked. Her smile got bigger and shyer. Well, I don't need to, but I thought it would be fun. Oh, Mason said. Are you a visiting professor? She laughed, clearly flattered. No, I'm visiting, but I'm a student. I'm in the applied physics program at Caltech. Cool, said Mason. Who doesn't like nerds, but will make an exception for a nerd with a tight ass and a giant rack? You doing some kind of exchange program here? She stepped closer to him, her eyes flicking up and down. Her lower lips slid between her perfect teeth. Yeah, and there's just some stuff I wanted to see in the math department. I mean, I, I guess I could get official permission to go in and look around, but... Her eyes flicked to his. There's something so much more fun about sneaking around, you know? Mason grinned. As it happens, I wholeheartedly agree. He held out his hand. I'm Mason. What's your name? Shyly, she offered her own hand. When Mason shakes hands with a girl, he just sort of holds it, then shakes once or twice real gently. He showed me how to do it a couple of times, and man, when he touches you like that, it's electric. I'm Phyllis. I know it's a dorky name, but I'm kind of stuck with it. It's not dorky, said Mason. It's an interesting name for an interesting person. Phyllis's ears turned red. Only now did Mason let her hand go. Listen, said Mason. I'm about to start my shift. I get off at ten. If you want to have some real fun sneaking around, you should meet me back here when I'm done with work, and I can show you around everywhere, he grinned. Private tour, what do you say? Oh, she looked over at me. Wow, gosh, you and your friend would be willing to do that for me? Of course, said Mason. No problem. My boy Blaine's not doing anything tonight either. Actually, I was supposed to grab a beer with my brother. Meet you here about 10.15? I don't know whose grin was bigger. 
Sure, Phyllis laughed. It's a date. She went back to her car and looked over one bare shoulder. See you, Mason. Mason half waved, half saluted. Her car drove off. Mason banged a triumphant fist down on the table, making the metal slats ring. And that, my friend, he said, is how you do it. We meet back here, we pop inside, and I get her alone for some fun. Jesus God, those boobs! I stared after her car, confused. Caltech was in California. If she was from California, then she should have been shivering for sure. But I hadn't seen a single goosebump on her skin. I canceled on my brother. Is it Mason and his crap again, he asked. But I lied and said no, I had a headache. I met Mason at our usual table. It's funny how different everything looks at night. No cars and tons of shadows from all the lights they put on the outsides of the buildings. Yo, Mason said. He jammed his hands in his pockets and hunched against the cold. This is gonna be tits. The girl's Saturn appeared a minute later, rolling quietly up the road. She pulled over by the curb and got out. Phyllis had a jacket on now, but she still had her sundress and those barely-there shoes that girls wear in the summer. And she still didn't look cold. Hi, she giggled, hurrying over the wet grass. I can't believe we're doing this. Don't worry, said Mason. He made a big show of taking out his... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Keys. I know my way around. We'll never get caught. He waggled his eyebrows at her, unless you want to. Phyllis laughed and put her hand on his arm. Lead the way, mon capitaine. Mason unlocked the door and we went inside. He's taken me through the nerd department after hours before, and I don't see what the big deal is, but then again I'm not a physics student from California. To me it's just a bunch of rooms and whiteboards, and there's only a little equipment, and it isn't even the exciting kind that can blow stuff up. Mason unlocked another door, labeled Horace Chandler, Chan, Davis, Research Division, and swept it open dramatically for Phyllis. The lights sensed that we were there and flicked on. This is the Davis wing, he said. There's a door on the other side that goes through the breezeway to a physics building. I think they collaborate on some sh- uh, some stuff. She smiled up at him. He smiled down at her. You already know about all that, though, of course. Of course, Phyllis said. 
I've studied Chan Davis's life and work. He didn't live in this part of the country, but they're right to name a division after him. History will eventually recognize what a genius he is. Uh-huh, said Mason. Down there's a conference room, and here are the actual labs. He lowered his voice. And boy, you gonna love this. He unlocked another door and looked over his shoulder at me. So I said, Hey, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'll catch up with you guys later. Mason grinned. No problem. Take your time. Phyllis went on ahead. Blaine, she squealed. Mason's face changed with surprise. I'm sure mine did, too. Why was the girl screaming for me? I pushed past Mason and ran inside anyway. What is it? Phyllis pointed at something on the table. It looked, no joke, like a bomb, kind of half-finished with wires and plugs everywhere, and blinking lights with a countdown clock that said, 03 10 11 1968 Do you know what this is? I know what it is, lied Mason, pushing past me. He picked it up, then grunted in surprise. The thing's a lot heavier than it looks. What'd they use, a car battery? Don't touch it, cried Phyllis. It's cool, baby, said Mason. I work here, remember? He started fiddling with its wires and buttons. This is one of the key projects in the department. Researchers from across the world come to collaborate on it. It's so cutting edge that it doesn't even have a name. Stop it, Mason, begged Phyllis. Then she paused like she'd realized something and tipped her head at him. Please, I want to look at it. She nestled close to him and slid a hand up his arm. Please, that's what I came here to see. Mason stopped fiddling. He grinned. Well, he said, since you asked so nicely, I thought you had to go to the bathroom, Blaine. I'm going, I said. Mason pushed one more button. Okay, here you go. But as you can see, they're still building it. It doesn't work yet. The rest of Mason's voice faded out. I turned to look at him, but the rest of the room faded out too. I felt like I was floating. Like when you're swinging on a swing and you launch yourself off it into the air, and the whole world around me went silent and white. Mason? I asked. But I couldn't talk. I didn't have lips. And I didn't have a face. But before I could panic or figure it out, I was standing on a big grassy lawn under a big sunny sky. What the hell, I said. About twenty feet to my left stood a tree. Mason was in it. He was jammed awkwardly in the lowest fork, like he'd dropped down into it from the sky, except none of the branches above him was broken. The bomb thing sat on his chest. What the hell, he said. I walked over to him. Where are we? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm stuck in a goddamn tree. I laughed. I couldn't help it. It's not funny, asshole. Sorry. I held up my hands. Pass me the bomb thing and I'll help you down. Mason wasn't kidding. The bomb thing was surprisingly heavy. Mason weighs a lot more, of course, but at least he got down most of the way by himself. Okay, Einstein, he said. What have you done now? I looked around. The lawn was big, but it wasn't empty. It was a nice day, and it felt like mid-morning, and lots of other people were sitting around, either on the grass or on blankets, talking or reading books. A couple of people played catch, and some other people played frisbee. Everybody was dressed sort of formal and old-fashioned, like how my sister makes her family dress up for church, and nobody had any tablets or phones or laptops or anything. I think we're in the middle of an Amish picnic. Thank you, Captain Obvious, said Mason. He picked up the bomb thing and approached the nearest blanket. Yo, me and my boy are a little lost. Can you tell us where we are? The blanket held two guys and two girls. The guys both had helmet hair, and the girls both had their hair flipped at the bottom. Oh, said a guy. This is the main quad. He eyed Mason's uniform and the thing in his hand. 
The engineering building is over there. Ah, uh, thanks, said Mason. Come on, Blaine. We walked across the lawn. Hey, wait a minute, said Mason. That's the main admin building over there, and that's the library. We're at the university, except it's missing some buildings. And what's up with those old cars? And the trees are a lot... Oh, fuck me. He dropped the bomb thing. This is a time machine. A nearby ring of book-reading girls glanced up at us, then glanced at each other and snickered. Nerds, one of them whispered to the other. Ladies, announced Mason, startling them. Now is not the time for insults. We've got a situation on our hands. He scooped up the time machine and shoved it at me. You carry this thing. It's your fault we're even here. What are we going to do? I looked around. And where's Phyllis? What if she's stuck here too? The girl's the least of our problems, said Mason. Come on. I followed him, but he didn't really go anywhere. We walked around the lawn for a while, wandering up to people and asking them questions, until we figured out the date, which was Thursday, May 2nd, 1968. And everybody probably thought we were crazy. What if they call the cops on us, I asked, for, I don't know, being suspicious. The cops are the least of our problems, said Mason. I'm tired and I'm starving and we're in 1968. I bet I can't even use my money here to buy anything. Money looked different back then, didn't it? They'll think we're counterfeiters. Mason is so smart, I never would have thought of that. What if we just go to the dining hall, I asked. Everybody here already thinks we're engineering nerds. Mason said it wasn't the worst idea I'd ever had, and we might as well give it a try. Luckily, it worked. We carried the time machine inside, and nobody even looked at us as we picked up trays and helped ourselves. Ugh, said Mason, poking his mac and cheese. I guess cooking was different back then, too. He pushed his tray away. Okay, here's the plan. If this thing brought us here, then it's going to be able to take us home. So I need some time to figure out how to reprogram it. How long will that take? Mason shrugged. I mean, I'm a super genius, but I've never fixed a goddamn time machine before. It could take five minutes or it could take five weeks. Man. I know, said Mason. But look, I forgive you. I know you only wanted to show this thing to that girl to help me get laid. We're cool. I nodded. If only I'd gotten my hands on those bombs, Mason sighed. Otherwise, this might have all been worth it. Christ, did you see the size of them? Hi, Mason, Phyllis said flatly. We both jumped in our chairs and twisted around. Phyllis stood behind us. She didn't look happy. Hey, said Mason. We looked everywhere for you. Are you okay? Here, have a seat. I've made a plan to get us back. Phyllis didn't sit. So did I. Give me the Hilbert device. What, the time machine? Mason waved a hand at it. We've got it under control. No worries. Phyllis pushed herself between us and glared down at Mason. Okay, Mason. Let's cut the crap. Mason looked up, his eyes zeroing in on the undersides of her tits. As I told you, the Hilbert device is what I came to the mathematics building to see. I'm trained and qualified to operate it. You are not. Mason laughed. Take it easy. I got us here, didn't I? Unfortunately, yes. She put a hand on the table and leaned toward Mason, her back to me. Now, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. So, are you like a government spy, said Mason, still smiling, who knows about time travel? I know you aren't from California, I said. Phyllis turned to me. Her eyes were like drill bits in steel, and I felt the sparks all the way down to my guts. Usually, it's only Mason who makes me feel that, but it was like this girl could see right into me. Why do you say that, she asked. I blushed. You weren't cold, I mumbled. It was April in Wisconsin. Brilliant reduction, Sherlock, said Mason. Now, if you don't mind... I'm what you call an alien, said Phyllis, her eyes still on mine. 
My job is to monitor and neutralize certain potentially dangerous technological developments made by your species until you, as a race, can demonstrate that you are mature enough to handle their applications. She gestured behind her at Mason in disgust, which you, at this point in time, are obviously not. I didn't know what to say. I didn't understand most of what she said, but I did understand Alien. Wait a minute, are you telling me you're a Navi or something? No, Phyllis said. I'm like a god and you're like rats, but I can't hold that against you. Right, said Mason. You're a godlike alien, a beautiful godlike alien who goes to Caltech. That's my cover, you dirt-dwelling idiot, said Phyllis. I picked a physical form that was most likely to help me manipulate one of you people into doing what I wanted, so I could achieve my objective while keeping a low-tech profile and not risking a significant social disruption. Mason whistled. He leaned around her to look at me. I gotta hand it to this girl. This is a level of nerd I've never seen. This is like commitment. By now, a couple of people at nearby tables were glancing over. I heard some more snickering. From engineering are all so far out, someone whispered. Unfortunately for us all, said Phyllis, it looks like you're believing my cover a little too much. So let me spell it out for you. I am not interested in what's in your pants. I'm only interested in what's on the table in front of you. Give me the Hilbert device. Otherwise, none of us is going home. Mason sighed. He pulled the thing off the table and turned it over in his hands. Okay, look, he said. Phyllis or whatever your name is, this thing is... Faster than you can blink, Mason leapt out of his chair, kicked it over, and bolted to the door. Phyllis tripped on his chair. Mason, I shouted, and in a second I was up and out the door too. Everyone else's helmet-haired heads whipping around to watch me go. Mason, wait! Mason didn't wait. I flew after him down the steps, around a corner, along a paved path through a courtyard, and out into the street. By the time I caught up with him at a corner somewhere, I was practically dying. Mason, of course, was only breathing hard. He's really in shape. What took you so long? What are we doing? I panted and bent over and put my hands on my knees. The car parked at the curb next to me looked weird and had a manufacturer logo I didn't recognize. You can't just leave her here. Don't tell me you believe that alien spy bullshit. I, I don't buy it, but you can't just leave her. Mason hefted the time machine from hand to hand. It was too heavy to toss, so he just sort of rocked it back and forth thoughtfully. Oh, he said, raising an eyebrow. Can't I? When he looks at me like that, my insides get all loose and I can't argue. I mean, you can, but you shouldn't. You really shouldn't. Mason tucked the time machine under one arm and nestled it on his hip. Come on, we gotta find a place where I can work on this thing without being interrupted. I thought we'd be safest back on campus, but Mason said we'd be spotted by the crazy. So we wandered around practically the whole town until it was almost dark, snuck back into the dining hall and stole some more food, and went back out into the night. I wake up six hours earlier than Mason does, and he had me carry the time machine all day. So by then, I was ready to pass out on the quad, but Mason wouldn't let me. We'll find a frat party, he said, and pretend to be drunk and crash in the basement. That's exactly what we did, except I could barely sleep for all the noise, and Mason actually got drunk first. Then we sort of stayed there. Maybe you've never gone to college either, but you've been to plenty of parties, so you know how the houses are. There's always somebody coming or going, or some drunk dude or kid from out of town visiting his cousin. By the time anybody started to wonder whose guests we were, 
We'd already been there for three days, and it wasn't like they were going to throw us out. Mason was totally happy to lie on his crappy basement mattress and mess around with the time machine for hours and hours, even though all it did was blink and beep. Me, I couldn't live like that. I was washing my socks and boxers in the sink every day with some nasty bar of house soap. And while it was fine for Mason to pretend to be a visiting engineering student from U, Michigan, he'd always been a great bullshitter. By day two, they were sharing their weed with him, offering to hook him up with anything he wanted, while I still had no idea what to say to people. Yo, what up, I'm a time traveler from 2014, and I work at a taco shop. I had to find Phyllis. So maybe she wasn't some alien spy, but at least she was an actual Caltech nerd, and she'd be able to make the machine work and take us home. I watched for my chance and finally got it. On day five, Mason said he had to go out with the guys and get some things. That I should stay here and guard the time machine. I said I would. It was a total lie, and I felt like dirt. I made myself wait for half an hour, then took the time machine and ran to the engineering building. At least, I tried to. Mostly I ran around campus like an idiot because I don't know where anything is, and it's not like there's an internet for your iPhone in 1968, and Siri can't tell you. I found the chemistry department, the old physics building, and even the tree that Mason had landed in, but not where the ultra-university math nerds would be. I dropped the time machine under Mason's tree. Phyllis, I shouted, you aren't making this any easier. Sorry, she said, coming out from around the tree. I jumped about four feet and nearly pissed myself. Sorry, she said again. I thought you might be looking for me, but I couldn't be sure. You were following me? Oh yeah, said Phyllis. For days. You guys are in the frat house by the record store. Why didn't... How come... This whole time I thought you were going to get left behind, but you could have just come inside and seen us anytime you wanted? Not anytime, she said. She was still wearing the jacket and sundress from last week. She must be washing her panties in the sink every day, too. Not during the day when a pretty woman in a house like that would get noticed. I'm trying to accomplish my objectives without causing any disruptions, remember? I don't, I said. Look, maybe you're an alien and maybe you aren't. Actually, I'm pretty sure you aren't, but I am sure that you have a better chance of fixing this thing than Mason does. I nudged the time machine with my toe. It had rained earlier, and the thing had made a deep dent in the soft ground where I'd dropped it. Can you take a look? Phyllis squatted and pried the time machine up from the wet grass. She looked closely at the connections and the numbers on the countdown clock. Boy, he really dicked this up. I sighed. He does that. Phyllis sat cross-legged, like the wet grass didn't bother at all, and rearranged wires and pushed buttons. You know, it's funny. I'm a certified behavioral expert in five different sentient species and a dabbler in the psychologies of eight or nine more. But in every intelligent race I or anyone else has examined, the nature of love is the same. I stared at her. I had no idea what she was talking about. She swapped a couple of wires. I watched you two for days before I first approached you. You're both idiots, but at least you're a good guy with a lot of kindness. Mason, though, he's nothing but an entitled brat. Yet, because you're in love with him, you refuse to see it and you'll do anything it takes if it will make him, so you think, love you back. My face got hot. Listen, I'm sorry for being so forward, Phyllis said, wiping her muddy hands on her dress. I'm not gay. All I'm saying is, I know the only reason we've been stuck here so long is because your feelings for Mason and your desire to obey him, so I forgive you. Making the decision to find me must have been very hard. I said I'm not gay. And if you hadn't come to find me, said Phyllis, unplugging a wire completely and tossing it into the grass, who knows what I would have had to resort to? 
You can't spend too long in a time stream that isn't your native one, you know. Then you get all kinds of icky stuff and anti-time clusters and... Well, never mind. Are you listening to me? I demanded. I'm not gay. Mason's just... He and I... Phyllis shook her head, making her blonde curls bounce. Forget it. But while we're on the subject... We're not on any subject. There's no subject because I like girls and I've been with tons of girls and... You do? You have? Phyllis looked surprised, then embarrassed. Oh, well, good. Because I have a favor to ask you once this is all behind us. She stood, turning over the finished time machine in her hands, as if it weighed nothing at all. I have a lot of curiosity that comes with being a scientist, and there are certain knowledge gaps I have that can only be filled by direct experience, and I would much rather fill those gaps with your help instead of Mason's, since I find him pretty repulsive. I suppose what I'm saying is... Being an expert in humans, I've been wondering for a long time about how it feels to be in a human shape while having... Drop it. We both turned. Back by the tree, halfway behind the trunk, stood Mason. I felt a rush of terror and a rush of relief both at the same time. Mason, hey! Guess what? Are you on your way to the dining hall? I, uh, I left the house to get some food, too, and I ran into Phyllis. And she, I mean, I had the time machine with me to guard it, like you said. And she happened to know she was taking a look at it and... Drop it, lady. Mason leaned out from around the tree. Next to me, Phyllis went very still. For a minute, I didn't understand what was going on. Then I saw what Mason had in his hand. Is that a... I began. Mason jerked the revolver at Phyllis. It was a little black thing, so small it almost looked silly, but a gun is a gun. You don't fuck with guns. One more time. Drop it. Slowly, Phyllis knelt on the grass, setting the time machine back in the dirt. I glanced around everywhere, but the wet grass had kept everyone away. The big lawn was empty. There were people on the sidewalks at the edges, though. Like anyone could run as fast as Mason could pull the trigger. Okay, said Phyllis. I'm putting it on the ground, see? That's not real, I said. Can't be a real gun, Mason. What are you even doing? What are you even doing? Asked Mason. I told you to guard it, and this is what you do? He spat on the lawn. Pardon me. I didn't realize you were actually a backstabbing, treacherous liar. You know that hot, helpless feeling you get when you're so humiliated you can't even move? Even the girl has more brains than you, he said. She can tell my piece is real. My brothers back at the house are my boys. What do you think we were getting this afternoon? But you can't just... I could barely talk. My hands twitched and I couldn't move my feet, and my heart thumped in my ears like a bass line. You can't just buy... It's 1968, you retard. Gun laws were totally different then. Mason waggled the gun at Phyllis. Now back off. Don't, I sputtered. Please, she... she was just... I was just trying to... To what? Mason snarled. Give a priceless time machine to a crazy bitch who comes out of nowhere and doesn't even know the value of what you're giving her? This is serious science, Blaine. Then he waggled the gun at me. You'd better back off, too. You don't deserve to be anywhere near it, you faggot. It's funny how humiliation is almost exactly like rage. Don't call me that. What? Mason swept the gun between us. He cocked the hammer on the back. A faggoty fag fag faggot? I tackled him. At least, that's what I thought would happen when my thighs exploded like rockets and everything turned black. But that isn't what happened. Instead, I threw myself on top of Phyllis... Grab it! My mouth screamed as the revolver fired and a bullet whizzed above us. Grab the time machine! Phyllis grabbed. We rolled. Metal banged into me. Cold mud ground into my elbows. And I'm sure by now that people were running towards us off the sidewalks. 
since gunfire is more interesting than what grass isn't. But I wouldn't know. Everything around us went silent and white. Oh God, I said. Oh shit, oh shit, oh shitting shit. It was dark out. Phyllis and I were lying on the ground, she on top of me, the time machine between us crushing my ribs. Above me and to my right was Mason's familiar picnic table. Shit, I wheezed. Are you okay? Phyllis rolled off, dragging the time machine with her. Her dress was a mess and she had grass stains on her knees, but no scratches anywhere. I'm okay, are you? I held my ribs. Oh, ow, we have to go back. What? Phyllis staggered to her feet. We have to go back. I cringed and rolled over. The pain was so bad I didn't want to stand. For Mason, we can't leave him. Phyllis put the time machine on the picnic table. Then she ripped out all the wires. Phyllis! Then she pulled the actual time machine apart, like it was made of nothing but tissue paper. In seconds, pieces of the time machine lay scattered all over the table and the ground, falling between the metal slats, bouncing underneath them, rolling down the strip of glass and off the curb into the gutter. No! I shouted. I stood up anyway, but it was too late. You can't do that to him! Shh! said Phyllis. And what about history? I shouted. What if Mason messes it all up? What if he stops Hitler from being assassinated? Are you trying to attract the campus police? Phyllis looked around, but the dark was empty, and the orange light over the back door illuminated only us. Relax, this isn't the only Hilbert device on the planet. It's just the only one in human possession. I've got a much better one in my car. She gestured at the parked Saturn. I'll go get Mason myself tomorrow morning, after I've given him a few days in his time to calm down, okay? I held my ribs and glared at the pieces of time machine. Okay, Phyllis asked again. No real harm's been done, I promise. Jesus, I muttered. Phyllis collected some of the broken pieces and dumped them in her car, to make sure that nobody could put the time machine back together, I guess. And Blaine, thank you for what you did back there. That was extraordinary of you. Some alien you are, I grumbled. Since when can aliens get hurt by bullets? We aren't vampires, Phyllis said. She leaned over and put more pieces into her back seat somewhere. I watched the hem of her dirty dress slide up, 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 and I thought about how much Mason liked to see that, and how he probably wouldn't want to be my friend anymore when he got back. I felt sad and scared and sick. I mean it, Blaine. Thank you. Especially because I know that the personal fallout you'll have to deal with because of this will be considerable. I held my ribs and said nothing. Phyllis backed out of the car and faced me. She held a bright gold cube in one hand. Great, I said. What's that now, an anti-time machine or something? No, she rubbed her thumb over it. Look, I can't give you back your friendship with Mason, but maybe I can give you something that will help you. Figure things out, down the line. What things? Phyllis tapped the cube with a finger, and she changed. It took less than a second. There was no flash of light or puff of smoke, but somehow Phyllis wasn't standing in front of me anymore. Instead... There was a guy, taller than Mason, more cut than Mason, and even more dangerous looking. But then he smiled at me, and that hot flutter I got inside was somehow exactly the same. He took a step towards me and set the gold cube onto the roof of the car. I don't know how, but he was naked, and the one orange light over the back door made all his muscles curve and jump when he moved. I stood rooted there like a tree, until he got right up to me, so close I could feel his body heat. He smelled like clean laundry. He smelled good. This is my human male disguise, he said. I thought you might like it better if you're still willing to do me that favor. The baseline of my heartbeat was back. But you're... you're really a girl, right? Well, 
My sex incubates are young, so I suppose you could consider me female, in a way. So this isn't... So this is okay. He just smiled and reached out a hand. So I took it and pulled him down to the grass. Mason's right. Getting the girl is tits. There you go. As usual, don't forget, copyright is... KJ's, what can I say, a brilliant story, and like I say, it came from, you know, that came from that stable fantasy and science fiction magazine, you know what I mean, so very nice, thank you so much, and Jonathan, what can I say, sir, lovely to have you on the show, thank you again. So that is Starship Sova's show 385, don't forget, we sponsored by Octagon Technologies who are now able to supply hosted exchange service for solicitors and legal firms in the UK who need to use the criminal justice secure email. How cool is that? There you go. I thought we enjoyed it. And before we go as well, don't forget YouTube there. I'm putting out all YouTube things. I can't remember what I mentioned last. I think I finished off with the best I won last year. I did this time. We have two new shows on YouTube for your delight. We have talking about Asimov's iRobot, and the other one is my f- getting it, three most anticipated releases for 2015 May in there as well. And there's one writer there that hit my worst list. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm, yes, I'm all over the place. So do pop over there and have a look. That would be fantastic. Until next week, just like to say, good night from me. Will our heroes survive this terrible ordeal? Can they win through with their integrity unscathed? Can they escape without completely compromising their honor and artistic judgment? Tune in next week for the next exciting installment of This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonder. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ...network dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about The District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening.